Hello, this is Black Country Blokes Chewing the Fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the moms, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. Abin, yeah. This is the Black Country Blokes Chewing the Fat with me, Kev Dillon. Lee Carmen Craig Finches, and our special guest today is Ryan Ireland. Now, before we start, happy pancake day to everyone. I hope everyone's had the full-on pancakes. Um, <laughs> I haven't been able to forget because our Jasmine has been so excited all week. So she's had her fill, they put it to bed. Now, Ryan Ireland's going to be coming on to tell us about his, his, his journey through life. From having um, childhood trauma, dealing with it, losing his brother, and then putting his life more or less together. Our lives are never fully together, but he's on the road and he's uh, written a book, but I'll let him tell you all about it. So, Ryan, thank you, brother, for coming on. You're welcome. And would you like to tell us a, a little bit about your life? Well, um, yeah, it's not been the easiest, but then who hasn't had the easy life? But, uh, yeah, it's, as a child, it was hard going, living with a narcissistic arsehole of a father you could say you know the violence and the uh, drama that he caused and that had a massive effect on uh, our lives and um, him doing the most unspeakable things of sex abusing my brother and myself which yeah you can't get your head around you can never get over something like that and um you know, then obviously later on in life, just losing my brother at an early age, it's just snowballed into what I now suffer with, with borderline personality disorder. You know, it's just everything that's just happened. And it's where I am today is what I have to deal with in that. But, you know, I'm still here, still fighting and uh, trying to make a difference. Because a borderline personality disorder, uh, a lot of people refer to like the Jekyll and Hyde, don't they? Yeah. But I know a lot of people who have had like childhood trauma. They they often get that because the 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 Jekyll has got to keep the Hyde safe. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been called that many times by ex partners. I've been called Jek- Jekyll and Hyde. You know, it's not nice to hear being called that, but it's not as bad as they say it is. Or you know. You see the film Jekyll and Hyde, you know, you read the books and things like you see split personality. It's not really split personality, it's just that you, certain aspects in your life you can't cope with, so you turn into another kind of person to deal with it. It's it's hard to explain, you know, it's not as bad now for me, but when I was a kid and yeah, I was, a, I used to turn into right little shit sometimes, you know, just because I couldn't understand how life was what it was all about and that, and I just couldn't cope with everything going on. Without prying too much into it, because I know it's a very touchy subject, but like, with your old man, was he always that way, or was it, um, you said about your brother? Um, so, so I don't want to pry too deep, you know what I mean? As far but, as I so. know, yeah. Obviously, as, as long as I've been around, he was always like that. Um, but hearing stories and uh, speaking to his 
my, my nan, obviously, she said he was an awkward child. And um, it was always in that the local papers around here for doing different stuff. So he was well known for lots of things, but obviously not about the sexual abuse until later on in life when we come out and started to do something about that. And I imagine, I mean, that we've had people on this show and I've got some people very close to me who've been through it. And uh, it's when I asked someone who'd been on the show, Andy Plant, and I said, how did you get the strength to come out? He went, okay, that was, that, it was having the strength to come out with it. I couldn't physically go on with keeping it inside. Yeah. Yeah, because I felt so dirty for years. And I felt like it was my fault. I asked for it and that. And so I kept quiet. And it wasn't until I was uh, engaged to the mother of my girls. And I thought, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this woman, I'm going to tell her everything. So she was the first person I ever told the full story. And then she gave me the encouragement to tell my mum, which then led on to tell my brother. And then we found out about him. And then it kind of just went on from there. So you you weren't aware of you, you, it was happening to your brother at the same time? No, no, no. That's the thing. I just thought it was just me. Mm. But um, luck, not, luckily or unlucky, it only happened to me the once. But when, obviously, I found, when I had the chat with my mum and spoke to my brother, we found out that my brother, it happened to him between the age of five and 15. And these words to me and my mum was, I used to let it happen to me, so... Um, I didn't get it, mm. and that broke me. That absolutely, yeah. That, yeah, you know, he will and always will be my hero in some respects. You know what he went through, and that, and yeah, it was hard was, to hear that. Was he your elder brother? Yeah. yeah. And how was it like? How you know when you told your mom? Because yeah. a lot of people naively they think the partner must know, but you know. The reason why these these deviants are so good at what they do is because it is secretive, isn't it? My mum blamed herself for a lot of years. She said, how could I not see this? How could I let it happen? I said, they're opportunists. I said, you used to go over and visit your mum, uh, stay over one night a week. I said, there you go. I said, there's one opportunity just there. I said that you're thinking that you're leaving your kids in the care of their own father. They're going to be safe even though he beat you up and things like that, you think that he would never do anything like that. I said, they're opportunists. I said, they, they're sneaky, they're devious, they're disgusting. Really are. It's, I don't know how, being a father myself, I don't know how someone could actually do that. Well, we talked about that the first time we talked on the telephone, didn't we, saying a lot of people, and this is... They say, I did it because I had this to me when I was a child in a fleeting circle. As you said, you couldn't think of anything further from the truth in your experience. Believe me, I've, I've heard that. And when I've heard, I've watched documentaries and read loads of books now. And when you see them use that excuse to say, well, it happened to me, doesn't mean you've got to go and do it to someone else. If you know how it feels, how dirty and head fucked that is why would you want to go and do that to someone else so for me i think that's just an excuse to try, just to try and get themselves off of it or to make people feel sorry for them and back to your brother i mean um you said he, he passed away if you don't mind me asking was he completing suicide or was he natural or? 
it was natural. Um, he abused his body uh, in lots of ways. He moved to London when he was 18 and then hit the drugs and that in, he was uh, homosexual as well. So he was in that scene, drugs, partying that, and then he was using himself. He thought that the only way that he was going to, he was, anyone was going to show him love was to basically yeah. have fuck him. So he used his body in that way. And then it just took his toll with all the stress and that. Um, he uh, had a burst aneurysm in his head and just went pop like that when he's 33. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many people, you know, when they've, um, whether abuse or not abuse, you know, they often see their belt. They get love by having sex, being used by sex, and then you cover up the pain with the booze, yeah. the drugs, and it yeah. becomes a very vicious circle, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, that, that was another reason why I wanted to write the book, just to celebrate his life and what he went through, because as a child, he was not physically bullied by kids at school, but he used to get called names for different reasons and that, so he didn't have a lot of friends. And I just wanted people to know, especially around here, living on the island, because everyone knows your own business now. I just wanted everyone to know what he went through, and he still had a good life in respects. Obviously, he moved to London when he was 18, but he was happy, even though he still done all this other stuff. He still managed to live a full life to the best way he could, and it was just a shame that he had to go so early. What was his name, mate? Kevin. Yeah, and I think that's what we've got to remember, the good times, haven't we? And we've got to... It's a lot of these these heroes, and every street's got a hero in it, and every street, every cul-de-sac has got a miracle happening on it, and we forget about that. Mm. And we think of heroes being these these blokes who... I was going to say masks, but everyone's going to wear masks nowadays. (laughs) 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 We we think of all these superheroes wearing masks and capes, but our, our heroes are the ones who are trying their best to keep us safe, you know, the mother, the big brother, the the coach, and they're, they're the real heroes, and yeah. unfortunately the movies don't get written about them. I think it's wonderful you've written this book, and what is the name of your book? Riding the Storm. Riding the Storm, what a lovely story. But I remember when we were talking, um, as I say, I said, has it affected um, relationships? Oh, definitely. I've struggled in lots of relationships. Um, obviously, by the time my brother had passed, I was married, had uh, my first daughter, and then losing Kev kind of just sent me on a downward spiral. You know, um, we just had our second daughter uh, just a year after Kev passed, and I don't know, <clears throat> I just couldn't cope with everything in my head, so I I just done anything I could to. Uh, escape them things that so i had affairs um i started smoking more uh i was just going off the rails and and then that kind of continued through a lot of relationships and until recently you know i've really struggled with relationships because i can't um i can express love i'm so passionate when it comes to that but when anything goes wrong i just I go within myself and then I'll get really agitated in that and I just can cause arguments out of anything. And not many people can take that. So I've gone from 
one relationship to another to another just to try and find some kind of balance instead of just taking time and looking at myself I was finding solace in other people and that was wrong I shouldn't have done that I was looking for that affirmation all the time I was looking for that someone to say yeah we accept you for you but I had to accept myself first and, and I'm told- doing that I, I have now I finally accept who I am and what I want to do and this is what I want to do like get out there and help others who are being for the same situations or same feelings or anything, you know, anyone who's struggling, this is what I want to do, just help them. And I think that's what we've got to do in this series while we start the podcast. So allow people to come and tell the story, but realise no matter what you have been through, you're not the only one. And I think when we're in that, um, that dark place, we've got mm. the dark room, whatever that circumstance is, losing your eyes, being abused, being an addict, you often think you are the only one. And I think the greatest lesson I ever learned was I'm not. And more people that can talk about it honestly, you know, it, it doesn't take away from your pain. It doesn't make your pain any better, but it makes you feel like maybe you can reach out and talk to someone. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I, I feel like as a man as well, men don't express how they feel as much as they should do. And I feel like, you know, men need an outlet to feel comfortable enough to talk and to feel accepted and and don't feel ashamed of feeling down, depressed, anger, suicidal, whatever it is you're feeling, you need to know that there's someone out there that's going to listen to you. And there's a massive difference being um, hearing something and listening to it, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, Craig, is anything you'd like to say, bro? I'm just taking the story in, to be honest, right? Um, I would like to say thanks for coming on and, you know, to to be in, in front of potential thousands, hundreds, thousands, millions of people with this podcast on the different stream services and actually tell your story. You know, I think that's remarkable in itself. I think in regards to men don't talk enough, especially given the subject of your story, I think a lot of that, like... Even like media, you know, TV adverts and stuff like that. There's nothing to prompt you to feel confident in talking. No. It's like when when I see adverts and stuff, um, and I'm going to tread the ground lightly on on the subject. But when I see adverts and stuff, it's usually aimed at um, female victims being, oh, you shouldn't be pressured to send photos. Oh, you shouldn't be pressured to meet. And it's always with the advert. It's always the female. Yeah. that's giving the pressure and it's always the male applying the pressure. And I think that there's a, there's a complete, it, it's just alienating potential victim. Well, you know, real victims uh, because men are going to think, well, if society is giving, you know, media and that's giving attention to only that side of a story or an event, then I've got no place in speaking up because I won't listen anyway. And I think there's a real disconnect between you know, potential victims from from the male sex in in regards to that respect. No, definitely, definitely. You know, I know the women are the main victims. Normally, I, I understand that, but they need to make sure that there is men out there who are the victims, and the women are the perpetrators. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying that neither side need to be treated any differently. They say for years women have been fighting for equality and everything but now I feel like it's gone complete opposite way it's and it's been more 
help out there so men can feel accepted and feel like, yes, I can be a victim, I will be heard, and I will get some, not justice or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a tough subject. I well, think, hopefully, I think you... we're gonna, hopefully, over the next few weeks, we're going to have someone coming on talking about domestic abuse being a man. Because yeah. I might have this wrong, but I'm sure, um, 90% sure, there's only one hostel for domestic abuse men, and that's army in, in this day and age, you know, when, and you hear, because we always think about, and I know we're not going to watch subjected to it, but we always think of fairer sex. But we've got to realise there's two sides to every coin, and there's bad and good in each sexes. And I think a lot of the time when men have this, and again, knocked about or abused or whatever, um, the police and the laws often see, well, you must have provoked her to do this. And that's often not the case. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh. It's, but, uh, I mean, uh, are you with someone at the moment, Ryan? No, no. Um, I'm just kind of concentrating on myself and just see what happens. Did you go to any support groups or counselling or anything? <laughs> yeah, um, I'll been in that counselling <clears throat> since I was a child. It wasn't until a couple of years ago when they actually diagnosed me with uh, BPD. Um, they put me in touch with this uh, it was group therapy. It was called Steps. And then you're there with other people in the same situation, like with the same mental illness. And that first day when I walked into that room, I come out crying Obviously, happy tears because I felt like I'm not the only one. That was the first time I'd ever met anyone who thought like me or acted like me, and it was empowering and just, yeah, it was brilliant. And then that led on to another uh, group therapy called uh, Stairways, and that was like looking into it more. So, yeah, that was kind of the start of this journey for me. That gave me. The, um, the confidence and understanding more of myself to give me the insight into, yeah, I can push this forward and help others who haven't had this opportunity to have group therapy or whatever. You know, it's... Sorry, carry on, mate. No, sorry, go on. I'm just saying, this is what we're always trying to say to people. You've got to find your medicine, whether it's counselling, hypnotherapy, talking, because... It takes courage to accept the help that's out there. And there is so much help out there. And I know sometimes it seems so long-winded and sometimes the waiting list as long as your leg. But keep pursuing it and keep trying to find something that could potentially make you feel better. Definitely. And about BPD, could you tell us, like, what were the early stages of finding out that you got this? Or, because when you, when, when you don't know, you just think you're vomit, don't you? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> They just always put it down as uh, depression and anxiety for years, years and years. And that's it just pop me pills and send me on my way. And then you go to one-on-one um, -on -one counseling for 12 weeks and you talk for the whole 12 weeks and that. Then you think, oh, I feel better. Then they just kick you out the door and basically think that you need to just, you can fit back into society. But it doesn't work like that. Then as soon as you're back out there, you go back in old habits because no one around you is any different. They're all still acting the same way towards you. So you go back into your anxiety, your aggression, your conf confusion. It's So then you 
you go back downhill, then you're back to the doctors, then you're back into counselling for another 12 weeks. That's what my life was like for many years. And, yeah, it was crap. But, yeah, uh, the BPD, um, there's loads of descriptions in the book. It explains about the illness and that, but it's basically... I'm very impulsive and um, things like that. And my mood swings, I'll go from 0 to 100. Not so bad now, because I've learned to understand it more, but my mood swings, I could just flip just like that for no reason. And I'll just get angry and start hitting things. You know, my um, I used to do loads of self-harming. It was never cutting. It was more when I was a kid, punching pillows to get the anger out. Then, then that got to the stage for, well, pillows don't do anything. So it was doors. Then that got to a stage, and I thought, well, that ain't doing anything. So then it was walls. Then, then it got to a point, and I was hitting myself on the chest, on the head. It was just mostly frustration of the world because I just got so confused on, well, how come everyone else in this world is like happy and I'm like this? So it just made you feel more worse about yourself. But it wasn't until I actually got diagnosed with it, then actually looked into it myself, going on Google and typing, uh, borderline personality not the best thing to do because Dr Google as they called it gives you the worst case scenario and even though I was t- t- ticking in boxes I was thinking shit that's me it's me I shit myself I thought I'm going to get locked up I'm going to get put in a psycho home you know it's 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 hard to explain what it's like you know it's just so many ups and downs with emotions and that is yeah i would say google it but just read the book good talked on then that with self with self-harm because a lot of men we do self-harm and it's um but you we, we think of self-harm in the severity of cutting our arms cutting our legs but i don't know a bloke who hasn't punched the door or kicked a wall yeah. or even then it's like Chewing your fingernails down to when they bleed and it's sore and you keep biting it and self-harm hasn't got to be as severe as cutting yourself, which a lot of people do, so I'm not knocking yeah. away from me. But it's easy to judge, but actually step back or even boxers, you know, when you're going in there and you've let someone give you a good idea, you know what I mean? Or you've taken a couple to give a couple back and it's yeah. different forms of self-harm. Yeah, oh, there's so many forms, but whenever you, anyone says self-harming, they just all make you think, cutting. And it, it's, it's not. And I've always thought, you know, that why am I doing this? But then it's not until later in life I've found out it's because it's all that internal frustration. You just don't know how to deal with it. So you turn it into an external form so you feel better. And that's why people do cut themselves and things like that because they can see it heal. So they think, oh, that wound's been opened. All that shit inside me has come out and now I'm healing again. So I, I understand why people do self-harm. But it's it's not a nice thing to see and to do, you know. I've I've got lumps and bumps all over my head and that and my chest because what I've done and touch wood, I don't do it as much now. Only on the odd occasion when I get really stressed out and that, then I'll do it. And then I feel crap afterwards. I feel disappointed in myself, but I've got to stop that because it's just an impulse that I can't control. Do you and think then- there's um? Sorry, Kevin. Do you, do you think there's a sign of, like, with self-harm? So I've known people self-harm, and it's usually the cutting um, side of self-harm they do. And I believe self-harm can come in the way you talk to yourself and all sorts. But 
Uh, there's a couple of points I want to mention. Is one, do you think that the cell farm is, especially if it's cutting or it's headbutting stuff and punching stuff, at least with thoughts you can't see them healing and you can't notice them healing. Whereas if you cut yourself, you can see the process of it healing. Mm-hmm. So it sort of subconsciously tells you, okay, I'm healing. Yeah. Um, so. That's the one point. And the second point, before you touch upon that one, if we can remember it, is do you believe, the you've mentioned confusion a couple of times there. Do you think that is what leads to the wanting to be um, what, what's the, approved by people, you know, looking for their approval? Because, you know, it's like with if, if you someone puts you in a circle and spins you around and spins you around and spins you around, you get disorientated and confused. And the first thing you're trying to stumble for is to grab hold of something yeah. to stabilise you. Yeah, do you think that those two points make sense to you? Well, I've never heard anyone put it like that. And that, that makes perfect sense. It really does. You, That's described it yeah, to a T. That, that's how it is. It's like you just want to feel normal and feel accepted and feel safe by someone. So... With the self-harming, like you say, you know, you turn it to external form. So that inner pain turns into an external pain as well. That's why I hit myself just to make something hurt. So then that anger was built up inside can come out and dis- dissipate in the air. And obviously, like you say, the confusion, that is you just want someone, it's like a safe net. You want to feel like accepted and someone's going to say, we still love you no matter what but that's hard to find. And I don't know if it's my fault that it's hard to find because am I pushing people away or am I giving or am I uh, being too shitty to these people? And then when I'm asking for the help, they're like, no, I've had enough, had, had enough. So I'm still learning that side as well. It's, mm. yeah, it's it's a hard process, that one. Well, with the fear, um, you know, when going back to your original story, um, about your father and that and the abuse was was fear a part of not telling your mom that you was that you were scared how she'd react or she might lock you out emotionally or blame you because that that may have that may convey later on in life that you're scared of of losing people or the fear still there i mean i'm just speaking i'm just asking a question i'm not yeah. speaking from um any experience well, i think part of it was would anyone believe me for a start? And I know how manipulative he was and that, you know, and when I think the main reason why I kept quiet was when my mum and him split up, uh, my brother never wanted to go and see him at the weekends. And I didn't really understand because I obviously for the early years, I didn't see a lot. It was not until after, they split up my notes and stuff. So I still went and saw him because I knew how evil he was to my mum. So I think part of me thought, if I say anything, he's going to take things out of mum. Mm-hmm. So you kind of just thought, without thinking, you just bottle it up and just think, right, no one's going to believe me. Mum would get so much shit if she does. So I'm just going to suck it up and just pretend it never happened. But it's not that easy because it's still there. It's still there. Not so, not so much now, but for years after it happened, until the day I spoke to uh, my ex-wife, who was my fiance at the time, it was still there, still at the back of my mind. It still crept up. I had nightmares. I had 
sick feeling when I used to go to school through my GCSEs. I used to think everyone wanted to beat me up because he was known in the island for other stuff and people knew that I was his son. I used to think that people wanted to beat me up. So I used to stay behind school. So I didn't come out at the same time as everyone else. Um, I used to hide in the hallways, things like that. So it, it yeah, it, it was a tough time because I just thought like everyone knew as well. Mm. Even though I didn't say anything, I thought people would look at me thinking, You've been abused. You're his son. We're gonna get we're gonna kick your head in. And things like that. So I shouldn't have held it in, but I did. And unfortunately it manifested and caused so much anxiety and crap, basically. Mm. Often, I think, as you said, like the, sh the unspoken shame, thinking everyone knows. But I, I always think the saddest story, the saddest bit of all these stories is you were trying to protect your mom, your brother was trying to protect you, and it's love that's trying your best to stop anyone else from getting hurt, and you're yeah. getting hurt in the process. Yeah. And the bad thing is, you're you're only really protecting the person you shouldn't be by by not oh, speaking out on it, you know. Definitely, because when. We um, finally spoke to Kev and told him what happened. He'd come out and said about us. His words were, he doesn't want anything done about it. And we was like, why not? And he said, I don't want it to go through all that. I don't want it brought up and that. So we didn't for a while. It's not until um, a few weeks before my brother passed, something happened. He was on a trip up in Manchester I won't go into it because obviously it's in the book and things like that. But something happened that kind of took it out of our hands that started that process to get him done. So it was a long time that we were still protecting him and we shouldn't have been, but we didn't look at it like that. We was kind of protecting ourselves in respect, but didn't realise that we was hurting ourselves and protecting him, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know I mean? yeah. But it's I not until you put it like that, yeah. That's, that's the power that these people possess, so isn't it? Because they are so good at what they do and manipulative and scary. And so you, you think you protect yourself, but really, if anyone is listening to this out there and you know, you're not the only one, and realize don't protect the person who's doing these horrible things to you. I think on, that's on that, um, Ryan. Second, sorry, on that, Ryan. If if there's someone out there now going through it or been through it, what what advice would you give give those people? Uh, well, for one, it's not your fault. You didn't ask for it because I know that that will be playing in their mind. For for a start, you you feel like did I ask for this? The amount of question times I ask myself, did I did I ask for this? Did I give them a hint? Did I do this? Did I do that? So, for one, it's not your fault. You didn't ask for it. Two. Please talk to someone, anyone, anyone you can feel that you can trust just to be listened to for the first time will make a whole difference. To know that you've said what you feel, what you've been through will make you feel relieved. And then hopefully you can lead that on to actually getting something done about it. You know, go down the routes of telling the police because there is certain police out there that will, there's certain departments that deal with people like this. And they're so kind and so understanding. It's, yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. Have, have we had an, Oh, and um, 
you've got a social media presence as well, haven't you, Ryan? How can people find you if they want to find out more about you? Obviously, get the book. Yeah, I'm on um, Instagram and Facebook on right, called Ryan the Storm, and I put load of. Um, I just basically post load of positive stuff up there. You know, just so if anyone's feeling down, they can see a positive quote or anything like that, just to give them that bit of a kick up the palm and say, look, yeah, I can do this. I can get out of bed today. I can go out the door. I can face the world. You know, it might only be for a couple of hours, but at least it's more than what they was doing in the first place. So I just try and post as much positivity as I can. My inbox is always open. So if anyone wants to message and they want someone to talk to, like you guys, I'm here as well, you know. That's what we need to be doing, isn't it? All putting in the right direction. And yeah. What's that saying that uh, you said before, Lee? Uh, the best friend of... The... Do you remember it? Nope. Do you know what you want to make, Ken? It's probably someone else who said it. It was, uh, it was Andy Plant who said it, and it's... Um... <laughs> I can't remember it. It's a, it's a great saying. A perpetrator's best friend is silence or something like that. Yeah, that's it. Perpetrator's best friend is silence. I knew we'd get there in the end. I think you've got to look at as well, you know, as to people that are potentially going through what you went through is there's two, there's two different types of people in this scenario. There's the, the abuser, the perpetrator who as either doing it to justify their own abuse as young, regardless of their motives, they use that story as, as power, as weapons of, of mass misery and, and detriment and then you've got the people like yourselves who you master the art of self-sacrifice for an intended greater good so that you don't hurt anybody else you didn't want to hurt your mom your brother didn't want to hurt you and didn't want him to hurt you and look from the outside looking in out of those two the scared one is often the strongest one you yeah. in that situation were the strongest one because what you had to master that self-sacrifice that you know, that, that torture and that pain and kept it to yourself, that was for the love of, of everybody else. And I know which one's the stronger one. So anyone that is potentially going through this and, and is scared to speak out, you hold all the strength. Well, wow, that's lovely. Thank you. That's, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm speechless to that one. I've, I've never looked at it like that. I don't look at it as a, a strength. I, ha I haven't. I've just looked at it as that's how I handled it. Do you know what I mean? That's what I've done. I wish I could have done things differently. I wish it never got to where it did. I wish, you know, like the old saying, if you could turn back time, would you do things differently? I would and I wouldn't, if that makes sense. I would obviously change it so no one got hurt. But then sometimes I think, would I be the person I am today if I hadn't have gone through all that and I think oh, I love who I am now I love the platform that I'm on and trying to make a difference in that and I don't know is that making sense it's it's yeah, yeah. Mate, I think that's beautiful I think for, you just said you love who you am now regardless yeah. of where you come from and where you're heading you love who you am now and I think that that is testament to the strength of somebody like yourself you know again that's off to you and thanks for you for you know, say, telling your story live on air. Thank you. Can I I've ask you? 
Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Kev, we have. I've been putting up on the, the screen. We've had some really nice comments coming in. Um, yeah, they've been coming up on the screen. But can I can I ask you? Was a so once once it obviously obviously happened, and and um, was there any guilt that you thought that he may be doing it to someone else? Once obviously once he'd stopped and you'd moved out, or, or what had happened there? Do you ever think he would have gone on to do it to someone else and? Does that leave you with a guilt that he might have done that you didn't speak up um, any sooner? That, that's the thing is he had, but no one knew about it. Because when we was going through um, the court process, the law had changed because we knew he'd gone to court for other things in the past, but we didn't know the reasons why. We just knew it, he had to go to court. And it turns out that the law had changed just as we was going, that Old um, trials that anyone's go gone through in the past can be brought up as character witness and things like that. And we found out there was um, other people out there who had been in sort of similar situations from him. And uh, there was massive, it there would have been a massive, massive case against him. He, he was looking at minimum 15, 20 years for what he'd done. But Unfortunately, that never happened, but yeah, um, justice took uh, control of that in other ways. Um, well, so if you want, if you want to read, if you want to go into more detail of Ryan's story, obviously check out his book, and you can get it on Amazon, can't you, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. And what is it, R Ride the Storm? It is. Ride the storm, and uh, if it, this is my fault because Lee, you know, Lee's an avid reader, and so is Craig. But when I found out Ron was coming on the show, you know, I, I, I'm terrible because I don't read myself. I forgot to tell them it was the book, so they're going to go home. They're going to read it now. Because <laughs> 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 it, it sounds like such a wonderful journey. It, it takes strength to actually do what you're doing, voicing it, but then put it in down on paper. Hopefully, by you doing this, it will give the next person the courage to talk about it maybe earlier in life than it took you. Hopefully. Hopefully. You know, I could have put so much into that book, but I didn't want to go into massive, massive detail. I just basically just put, I don't know, not the basics, but just ideas of what happened because I didn't want to go into detail and trigger anyone else off but I just want to explain what happened and why it happened and this that and there's some lovely bits in there as well which there is some nice funny bits that people have said that they've laughed as well so it's not all doom and gloom it's you know it's it's my memoirs but it's it's just my life do you know what I mean it's don't you think that, um, don't you think, like, listening to you describe your book there, don't you think that's that's just a perfect metaphor for life? You yeah. know, you, you're going to have big, large areas of your life that you'd much rather forget or you'd, you'd much rather have not been a part of. But for every one of them, there's there's going to be some areas that you'll laugh at and some, oh, gotcha. some times that are going to make you smile. So I think that that is a great theme. And I'm sure however you've put it across, and I will read it, I'm sure however you've put it across, mate, is perfectly... You know, it conveys perfectly what you wanted it con to convey. Mm. I hope so. You know, I've had nothing but positive feedback. You know, even though 
on Amazon, someone put one star the other day, but they didn't leave a comment. I'm like, well, if you're going to do that, I'm not, you can't please everyone. But, Johnny, you know I mean? that's just my life I'm putting out there. So I put one star, it kind of peed me off a bit. But I thought they're entitled to their own opinion. But if you're going to have a negative rating like that, put a comment. If I've done something wrong, you didn't agree with it, tell me. Don't just At least it's constructive. Star. Yeah. Don't just rate one They might star have just sneezed. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the way of the world, isn't it, Ron? You can't please everybody. No. And I have to think that, like, Tom put out today, because. Um, Look at some of the most positive people in the world, like Martin Luther King, um, John Leonard, Mahatma Gandhi. All, all three of them were assassinated. Even though they were trying to do the best for the world, some bastard didn't like them. And, you know, on a big scale. So I think as long as some people like you, we're doing the job all right. Yeah. I better watch my back then. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, mate, like, <laughs> even with one star, they probably, even if they'd have put a comment, mate, they'd you'd have probably, if they haven't even bothered to leave a comment, and this goes in life, not just the book, then they probably had nothing constructive to offer you anyway. And to be fair, you're better off say, I've had it on my music and stuff, the negative comments. And I've had people say before, like when I was on Facebook and there, I'd write my own quotes and share famous quotes to try and inspire people. And I had someone say to me to my face, I unfollowed you or unfriended you because of them stupid quotes. And I said, well, there's two things I'll take away from that. One, I did what I intended to do because I inspired you to act upon yeah. something, whether it was in my favour or not. And two, they obviously wore for you. And mm. I think that's all you need to focus on, mate. Focus on what you do best. People and... like that are jealous <laughs> in some respects. Or they haven't got the courage to talk about what they've been through, so they just belittle other people. <laughs> Them shopping for a book and not shipping a book, and that's where you got and beat, mate. Yeah, true. You got and beat. Well, Ryan, yeah. thank you ever so much for coming on. Um, what I like to do is I like the guests to come and say a a, a quote or um, something that's gone through life. Um, so if you don't have a thing, just while I'm advertising Thursday's show. Um, Thursday, if we go on the same time, and it's just our us four blokes just having a chin wag. Now, we have come up with a couple of ideas, uh, and we're, we're going to start getting you to vote on them. Uh, if anyone's got any ideas for for um, conversations on Thursday and you'd like to become a part of them, please engage. Have either of you got your phone on yet? So you can have a couple, have a look at a few of them. I'm using my phone to stream this. But <laughs> before we do go, Kevin, log off, just uh, give a thanks to um, Donna O'Connell and Gemma Hawksworth for the message, for the comments. Lee has been putting them across, save um, reading them out, but thank you for commenting in. Uh, and yeah, also, right. Sorry, Kev, we have our men's support group. There's still a couple of places left for tomorrow. So if anyone's interested in, in joining us at the, the boxing club uh, tomorrow, seven till nine, uh, drop us an email at blackcountryblokes at gmail.com. And all you got to fill out is, like, it's have you got symptoms of the corona? Because, obviously, we're going for the midst of it. But, yeah, we will try and get some written up uh, topics for our Thursday show and then just have a little look through. And we're going to start letting you vote on what we've had to talk about. So, Ryan, have you got any quotes or sayings that have helped you get through oh, God, the storm? Oh, God, you a spot now. Um, <laughs> basically, just never give up. I know it's plain and simple, but it's what I live by, just... Never give up. Tomorrow's a new day. Do you know what I mean? 
perfect rubber. Well, guys, until we see each other next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Tarara bit. Listen, listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you would like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta-ra-ra-bit. Listen, listen, listen.